Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Health in the 406, where we're one community under the big sky. I'm your host, Jennifer Vansicle, longtime healthcare worker turned health educator. For this episode, we're going to listen back into our conversation with Amy Stiffarm. Amy is a, a Ani woman who grew up near Harlem, Montana, and she's got a great story. So let's continue to listen in. You're at Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies. You went, you mentioned you got a PhD. Yeah. So after I got my master's, there wasn't really a lot of folks being like, hey, we're hiring for someone who knows a lot about Native American breastfeeding. (laughs) You know, like there wasn't, that didn't happen. And so um, I I did a few different kind of public health-ish jobs and I ended up working a little bit for a research and evaluation firm that worked with tribal communities. And, um, it was kind of like maternal child health focused, but not really, you know, around specifically breastfeeding or birthing and and that kind of stuff. It was just like federal initiatives kind of like that. And, um, I kind of started feeling like, yeah, I would want to, I would want to lead research projects or, you know, I knew then that I didn't have the right initials behind my name. I was like a research assistant. So I was kind of doing the, you know, taking notes on meetings and that kind of stuff. But I also had a lot of input and help when they were talking about working in tribal communities as far as like, well, don't ask that or, you know, don't word it that way. And, um, got to also help with a lot of the, um, uh, institutional review boards. So like when you do research, like kind of like these ethics standards and and whatnot, that a lot of either reservations or Indian health services for their service areas have in place to put in extra protections for um, tribal communities participating in research. So I got to learn a lot about that and help with those applications. And, but I, I still, I like was kind of feeling like I wanted to do, go and get a PhD, but the one at U of M, like you had to move there. And I, and I remember I did a couple times, like look at what rent could be or how much student housing was, um, how much childcare was. And I, I, I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And I also thought about like how much work it was for me in those classes to be learning about like the general population and then kind of on the side doing the extra work of finding information about the like Native American rates and how this impacts tribal communities, whatever topic it was. And I felt like I have two kids now, like I am not doing that. Like it would, it would have to be like a, I thought it would be like a interdisciplinary PhD that would be like part Native American studies, part public health. And and I just felt like I don't want to do that. That's a lot of work. Um, and so I, you know, I thought about it, but didn't really, wasn't really actively pursuing it until the University of North Dakota announced their first, the, this brand new program, um, an indigenous um, health PhD program. And it was going to be all virtual. It was going to, you were going to, all the classes would be after work. So it'd be in the evenings and um, they were looking for applicants. And so I was like, wow. Or, you know, like this is like 
what I wished for, right? As far as like it being this like Native American studies and public health, you know, combined, like it felt like they did the hard work for that I was going to have to do for myself. And it felt like if, I mean, I kind of say this a lot, but it did really feel like the stars aligned of like, wow. Like it didn't feel like, Ooh, I want to do that. It felt like I have to do this. Um, so I applied um, and then when I got in, it was COVID. We were we were coming on on COVID and I had to make that decision. Like, am I going to do this with my two kids? And I was a single mom. Um, my youngest at that time was three. And um, knowing the classes were in the evenings and the COVID completely, you know, took away a lot of like, that support system of like how we would pick up each other's kids and hang out at our house. And then you'll hang out at your house the other night. You know, it was always, Oh, well we were around so-and-so and they had COVID or else people were sick with COVID. So it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be when I first signed up for the program, but I decided to do it. And, and the first time I had to take my kids to, we didn't know it was still going to happen with, with COVID school hadn't started yet for them but they had been out of school since like March and it was July and we hadn't, I hadn't been home yet since like Christmas, probably home being Fort Belknap. And, um, I was like, what am I going to do? Like I, my seminar was not going to be in the evenings. It was like three or four days of all day, um, zoom meetings. And I'm like, I can't have my two kids here during this. Like, this is going to be hard. Um, so I was kind of feeling like maybe I shouldn't do it. And, um, my parents, my mom, and, um, she's like my sister. I call her my sister. Melinda were like, send them over, like send them over. We'll, we'll take them. And it was scary because, you know, my parents, I didn't want to get them sick and we didn't know, you know, any of, there was still a lot of unknowns, but that was another time where I, we were driving through, glacier to meet them in cut bank and you know we pulled off we weren't going into towns and so we pulled off to have like a little snack and whatnot and you know i remember just like praying that like please let this be worth it like please let this be um worth like sending my kids here and putting these people at risk and you know just thinking of it and um i was really sad. Like that's the first time I hadn't been around my girls since COVID happened. I was with them every single day. And, um, it was really hard for me. And I kind of, kind of felt like a big sacrifice. And it was like at that time. And, um, yeah, it, it ended up being very much worth it. And, um, from the very first seminar, you know, sitting down in that, in that zoom room and it wasn't, we all, and there were um, non-Indigenous students there too, but they worked with tribal communities. And so we all sat, you know, we're talking about what, you know, what brought us here. And none of us had to go into that disparity. We didn't have to talk about the disparities. We didn't have to talk about or explain the history of like why things are the way they are. We all already knew it. And so we got we immediately started in talking about like solutions and things we wanted to do and um, things we wanted to see change. And so that right, like I knew um, I was in the right place and I didn't have to, like a lot of people, like you were saying earlier, introduce themselves with their ceremonial names. Um, 
a lot of people, you know, talked about their families and would introduce themselves like how I would normally introduce myself. And so it just felt like from the very beginning, I've, I've been in a lot of situations and some classes, even at SKC, sometimes where it felt like I had to leave like who I really was at the door and come in and put my like Western education hat on and sit down and learn this stuff and then go out and be an Indian at the powwow on the weekend or something, you know, but this was the first time I, I really truly felt like I could be my whole self and that my experience as an indigenous person was like needed. It wasn't like you need this degree to help indigenous people. It was like, the world needs this degree so that indigenous knowledge can help with the health and the state of like the world, but, you know, of course, tribal communities too. And so it was really empowering. And um, I didn't know what I wanted to study. I was still interested in maternal child health, but when I had my second baby, I really struggled um, with postpartum depression and anxiety and I kind of was still dealing with a lot of that shame and guilt because I had two kids. I wasn't doing the same type of advocacy work that I had done before. So I really had this guilt and this shame of like, well, who am I? You know, who am I to study, want to study um, maternal child health, like Indian moms and babies? Like I didn't even I didn't even um, have a good experience, you know, with my pregnancy and postpartum. Like I didn't even like it. So who am I to study this? You know, I kind of felt like it wasn't my place and like I didn't deserve to or something. And, um, but there was, you know, you got to start thinking about your dissertation. You got to start thinking about what topic area you're going to do. And, um, I kind of had this moment where I like, I just kind of felt like this, like immense grief or something. It was like, it like hurt, like physically hurt me. Um, and it was, it kind of helped me see that like the kind of shame and guilt that I felt about my experience that I would never wish that on anybody that I would not, you know, if I knew one of my friends were struggling, like I would not say, Oh, well, you don't deserve to be working with moms and babies, you know, like you, you didn't like you had a bad experience. So, you know, it, it just really helped me see that this was not what nobody wished this on me. Nobody thinks that this is how I should feel that it's, it's me feeling this way and that I have a privilege and an opportunity to try to study this and learn more and try to change things so that, you know, it's not going to, I'm, I might not benefit from this anymore, but maybe like my girls will, maybe I can change the system so that, it'll be different for them when they become pregnant and they become moms. And so that was kind of my moment of like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> I kind of fought myself for a long time. And honestly, as soon as I started saying yes, um, different things happened where I ended up being on a panel for healthy mothers, healthy babies. And one of my friends, we, you know, we used to run together, like actually physically run. And, um, she had a baby after I did and she talks are talking about how um, she was struggling with mental health issues like postpartum and she was being open about it on Facebook. And I was like, what? And like, so I had messaged her and I said, Hey, you know, I, I struggled with that too. I, um, 
you know, you're, you know, I, I, that happened to me too. And, you know, thanks for saying that, you know, thanks for being open. And then, so she knew that about me and, um, I always felt like I needed to keep it a secret though. Like I didn't like talk about it very much. Like my friends and family knew, but I like that shame and guilt, like that's a very real thing. And so, um, before I started the program, there was like this event happening where someone was coming and they were going to do like a writing workshop and you could share your story. And, you know, it was supposed to be like this, like cathartic, like healing thing. And, um, I told her I would go and I stood her up. <laughs> I did, I messaged her and I was like, I can't do it. Like, I'm not, I'm not ready to share my story. Like I just can't do it. And she said, I understand. And then, um, like she didn't give up on me <laughs> and, after I was in school and stuff, it was like one of the first, or wasn't very far into it. Yeah. It was like November of my first year. And, um, she messaged me and she said, are you ready to share your story? She's like, we're, you know, they want indigenous um, women to come and talk on this panel about their experience. And at that point I had been reading similar, like kind of what happened with the, with the breastfeeding and lactation stuff, like all of these different studies about, well, not all of these, like there's a whole bunch, but trying to look for scientific literature about um, mental health during pregnancy and postpartum for Native women. And there was hardly anything out there. And what there was a gross amount of literature that focused on substance use and nothing was talking about the root causes. There were like, it was known that like birth trauma and a trauma history was a risk factor, but nothing was talking about like historical trauma and how that would affect native women. And the the few studies that there were had very like had way higher rates of incidence. And it wasn't even looking at all mental health. It was mostly postpartum depression. And so I was like mad, I think at the literature, at what I was seeing. And so when she had asked me, I felt like, no, no, I am not ready to tell my story, but someone's got to talk about this. Someone's got to, you know, if we're going to talk about like our experience as indigenous women, like someone has to point to colonialism as a big reason why, um, why, you know, we have these high rates So I told her I would, and I ended up being on a panel at the Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies Perinatal Mental Health Conference. After that panel, um, that's when they, it was a few months later when they asked me if I wanted to help on that project where they're working with tribal communities. So saying yes to perinatal mental health, um, studying that, like saying yes to the conference, like it just kind of started opening more and more doors. Um, and it's because there's so much work needed in this field. Like there's so much work to do. We're really behind. Um, and, and it's just, I feel really, I know that my education has really set me up. Um, and it's a privilege to be able to do this work. And so I try not to waste these, these opportunities. And a lot of times I wanted to say no and like try to find somebody else. But, um, a lot of times it kind of came back to, well, I guess it is you, you better, better be ready. So, um, that was, that was kind of when I first started at doing stuff with HMHB. And then as I furthered on in my education, focusing more and more on perinatal mental health, um, that first project that I helped with that ended up being a part of my dissertation work. And then, um, 
I got hired on to do training. And so I developed a cultural safety toolkit that was also part of my dissertation work. So they really supported me while I was in school. And um, I moved here uh, in December of last year. And so they were with me, you know, the last six to eight months of my program of me finishing out my dissertation. And I always say like, man, I'm so glad I was here and with like my coworkers and had their support because it was really important in in finishing that dissertation. And interesting that I know one thing in listening to your whole story, first time you've moved away and you're not surrounded by indigenous people. Me and one of my friends were talking about that because she moved and she lives in Seattle. And so like, she calls herself like a first generation urban Indian. And I'm like, Oh, maybe I am too. And I'm like, Oh wait, no. Cause my mom lived in Missoula, but then she moved to Fort Belknap. And I'm like, I was like, well, I guess, but it is weird. I mean, I, I say weird. Cause I don't have another, it's different, such a different experience. Like really being an urban Indian, like it's, it's really different in a lot of different ways, but You know, I like that, like Helena had a powwow, so we were there and um, I like being this close to home. I knew that I was going to be moving east eventually. I ended up coming to Helena um, partly to work at HMHB and also because my boyfriend got a job here. And so I was like, Helena is east enough, like that'll that'll do. And it, it is like it's made instead of being a full day to get back home. It takes me, you know, three and a half, four hours. And that is still a long drive, but it's very it's a lot less daunting and it's way more doable with my two girls. And um, so, yeah, it feels like I'm closer to home and it kind of feels like home too, like with the, the landscape and, you know, the rolling hills and there's not like big old huge mountains. Um, you could see the plains after you get through the pass. And so uh, I, li- I like it here. I'm glad I, I'm glad I came here. Awesome. And so um, for your next on the horizon, I guess what's, I'm assuming keep, keep at it with healthy mothers, healthy babies and Anything yeah. else you're looking at down the road that's that you got your eye on for a goal or anything? Well, um, like I said, part of my dissertation work, I, I created this cultural safety toolkit. And so cultural safety is like, you know, there's cultural competency trainings and there's like cultural sensitivity. So cultural safety is really, um, really came about to address like, hey, you're not going to be competent in somebody's culture after like a two day training. And one, like, even if you do learn like these, like you can't deduce training or culture down to skills and behaviors, like that's not it. Um, And so it's kind of like this fallacy that you can, you know, that that's even a real thing, this cultural competency. But it's like, what do you do with that? And so there's that cultural sensitivity, cultural awareness, being aware and like being sensitive, being knowing that other people have different cultures. But this cultural safety really is about like addressing those power imbalances and um, making sure that the individual feels safe in their clinical interaction interaction. And I first learned about it in um, Principles of Indigenous Health with Dr. Nicole Redvers. And um, it just made sense. And um, I wasn't planning to study it, but in some of these opportunities that came up, I presented um, one of my concept, my a concept map that I came up with about how an Indigenous person experiences perinatal mental health. And um, 
in doing that, I kind of had the root level. I made a flower and it's like the root level and the stem and the leaves as the community. And then the individual being like this flower and the petals. And I got asked to present to the Montana obstetrics and maternal support leadership committee. And so I presented that and one of my little leaves, like there was the stem was like historical trauma to acknowledge like that, all those things, like this is still like, this is still, that's in our community still. But I also had a leaf, one of the leaves were a collective healing to acknowledge like that traditional knowledge and that indigenous worldview of like healing the collective and healing with people versus like individually and then the other leaf was cultural safety to to talk about like how important it is to feel safe in being an indigenous person and how that can lead to trust and where someone, especially when they're experiencing mental health issues, they wouldn't feel afraid um, to tell somebody what was what was happening. Like I was like I lied on my on my screener because I didn't want anybody. I didn't want to give anybody a reason to like take my baby away. They were the nicest you know, midwives, nicest clinic, nobody treated me differently or anything, but that was just deep in my bones, like how I felt. I felt like I had to protect my family. Um, So I kind of, I just pointed out cultural safety. And then they invited me back. They said, hey, can you come talk about cultural safety? And I'm like, oh, well, I don't really know too much about that. Let me try to find somebody who does. And like the nearest like trainer was in Canada. (laughs) So I'm like, and it wasn't about maternal health. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. It was one of those of like, okay, I'll do it. And so I um, did a first presentation that was like about it. And then the more I started working with people in the state and seeing like how providers really wanted this and then seeing how indigenous people were like, man, I wish my providers knew that about me. It just kind of like, I feel like really organically came about like, this is what you're doing. So I created this toolkit and um, right now I'm working on getting it pretty because it's in boring black and white APA. Um, I don't know, no offense, APA, but I know way too much about your formatting and stuff now. After I love that. it. I, I'm an APA person as well. Thanks to my, <laughs> my communications degree. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, why do I, I could cite this in my sleep now. Thanks. Um, anyways, I'm making it pretty and I've been giving trainings throughout the state when it's been really awesome because it feels like it is my, even doing my dissertation, like this was the this was something that I could give back. This was something that um, wasn't going to sit on the shelf and that I could use and that it seemed like would be helpful. And um, so throughout, you know, I give presentations about it here and there, like kind of draft of where it was and people will be like, well, when is it coming out? When is it coming out? And so it really helped me like as a motivator of like people want this and this is what um, soon as I do this and I can, I can, I can help. I can give these trainings more. So I've been really doing that a lot. Last week, I gave a presentation on Moms Project Echo, um, their website to a lot of providers. There were like 60 some people that showed up on Zoom. And then we're going to do a follow up in November on that. So that's kind of where I'm at is, is, is with HMHB. I feel like it's a really feel really blessed that I'm able to do this work. Um, not just be in a university and studying, but in a place where I can really give back to community because of my education. And so 
for right now, I'm really, I, I say that I'm like licking my wounds in community because it was a really, really tough process doing my PhD. Like it was, it was hard. Um, and it, but now it's done. And so I, I'm happy that I get to work with tribal communities in my own state. All my other work before has took, take I got to research and do projects with tribes, but a lot of them were out of the state. So I finally get to work with Montana. Um, my degree is through University of North Dakota, but this was something that I could do like for Montana and for the tribal communities here. So um, that's a big part of my work right now is helping people um, get trained in cultural safety. And, it, and it's not the answer by any means. Like this is a band-aid. Like at the very least, providers, someone should feel safe in their interactions with a provider. Like this is a very low, low bar. It is by no means the answer. And it is, it is, I really see this as a band-aid. So I think next steps will come, you know, like in addressing these systematic issues. And, you know, when, when I, when I was struggling with my depression and I would always like a thought that would kind of keep me, I guess, keep me here or kind of bring me back to the present would be like, well, what about my girls? Like who would take care of my girls? Who would breastfeed my daughter? You know, if I weren't here, like who, what would happen? And so I kind of like my always like hanging on thought was like, I have to make it through for my girls. I have to make it through so that when they're older, they're, they'll know about their risk for this and they'll know about like how important it is to like get help when you need it. And so you're not suffering and all of this stuff. And so now I kind of feel like now my, it is about my girls too, but at a systems level, like what can I change? What kind of systems change can I help with? Um, so that more, more people, don't have to suffer the way that I had to suffer through their pregnancy and postpartum period. And so that we can think of um, this maternal health and as more, more in a way of like well-being and being well and not so much focus on focusing on all of these disparities. But so I really just see myself right now and like in the future, just working with tribal communities to help build this awareness about how important it is to like utilize our our values, our cultural values, and and support our birth 